I'm not touching those light, those light controls. You know why? Because I think it might break something. I have bad experiences in this room. There is stuff on the screens. We're going with that. So we're talking about autobiographical memory today. Uh, I think, yeah, maybe in the uh, outline of the syllabus, whatever I called it, episodic memory. This is typically pretty episodic. Um, but all autobiographical memory isn't and a lot of things. And usually that's what we're talking about here. There are semantic parts of autobiographical memory, but we're not going to worry too much about that. Right? In fact, to me, autobiographical and episodic kind of synonymous, but a lot of people will tell you, this is why I mentioned it, that there is semantic memory in there. So I thought I'd just throw So, I mean, there are semantic parts, there must be, but I, that's not what we're really going to talk about. Alright. So, basically, as I said, we're talking about memory that's autobiographical, memory about yourself, self referential things. In fact, what Tolving says in that, uh, when he talks about episodic memory, is he says that it's self referential, it's stuck in So, this is hard to study. You can probably imagine how hard this is to study. I can give you a list of words. That's easy. And that is episodic memory. When I give you a list of words and have you recall them, that's episodic memory. There's no argument there. That's definitely episodic memory. You just learned them, now you recall them. Well, and again, we, we know that HM couldn't form new episodic memories and HM couldn't give you the list of words back. Sure. But let's get this out into the quote real world, and this makes, becomes a lot more difficult. It's hard to study this because, Amber, what kind of birthday cake did you have in your eighth birthday? Mm -hmm. Yeah, make something. Chocolate. Chocolate. I can't argue with her. What I have to do is go find, I assume your folks were there, and say, what kind of cake? And then they go, I don't know. Like, it's really hard to study this kind of thing. I could ask you something like, who was your grade six teacher gifts? Do you know who it was? See, that's not easy. It's non-trivial. This was what, only like nine years ago or something? I don't know how old people are. I, I, it all goes, I don't know. All we know is I was in grade six in 1976, and that's a lot better. Who was my grade six teacher? That's a good question. It was Miss Shepard. Miss Shepard, she she's my favorite teacher on the station. Anybody? Thank you. Glad a couple people got that. Grade six. Oh, Mr. Sissons. You looked like Rocket Richard. Anyway, he did. He looked like Rocket Richard. But I have no way. I guess I could go back and find out. But I really, you could be lying. You could be lying. Maybe he made, he made your chocolate cake. I don't know. So this is a hard thing to study in a lab. This is all self-reports that I cannot validate or they, maybe I can, maybe I can, but that's almost semantic, isn't it? Right, what you had for your birthday cake in, in, in whatever, nine years old, whatever I said, your grade six teacher. How did you feel when X happened? Whatever X is, I have no way of validating that. So it's all self-reports. This is not going to be easy. We use self-reports a lot in psychology. There's nothing wrong with a self-report if it's got good control. But you could make something up and I, I can't really argue with it. It's a real problem. So I can't check on the reliability or the validity of the responses. Yeah, that's gonna make this a little harder. You'll see. 
in a second. This can be done. But it's not, it's, it's non-trivial. If I wanted to get Like, let's say we did something today, and I, I said, I want you to remember this in five years. I still have to be able to contact all of you in five years. That's non-trivial, right? Why would you let me contact you? That sounds like I'm a bad person. Why would you want to be contacted? That still sounds bad, but it's not as bad. So you don't want me calling you in five years ago. Remember that time? That was pretty great, right? So you remember the words? Like, I, I can't do that. So it's hard for me to check on. What is used is a diary a lot of times. So what happens is a researcher studies themselves. So now I don't have to go search you guys out. Ah, so they keep a diary. And then what they do, and then that's one approach. Another word is what's called the Q word approach. The Q word approach is something happens that day in your life, whatever that something may be and you associate it with a word, and that word doesn't have anything to do with the thing necessarily. So let's pick something at quasi-red and blue. Let's call it blue. Waterfall, right? The blue, you want to call it turquoise or teal. You want to go with blue? Let's go with blue. And we're going to associate blue water bottle with the word light. So you have light, blue water bottle, light, blue water bottle, light, blue water bottle. And then, hopefully, then again, you're testing yourself at this point. I'm not giving you a call. Don't worry, I'm not coming by the house. And you pull from a, 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 a like a pool, like a, 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 from a hat. You draw light. You go, oh, light. Light is the blue water bottle. That's one way to do it. That's called the keyword approach. The other approach is to write down something in a diary and see if you can remember things in the diary. What you have to do is be kind of systematic about this. You can't write. Some days you can have more to write than others. And those of us who have, I don't know, let's say, you've, uh, let's say you have had, kept a diary. Most that's usually a thing you do when you're in high school or elementary school. Dear diary. Um, or maybe you, I don't know, maybe, you got a, maybe you've got a live journal because it's 2004. Or maybe you have a blog. That would work. But you have to write the same amount of stuff every day. Like you have to control this. So some days are lots, right? Today I did a reference check for a friend of mine who applied for a job. So got a reference check for him. Uh, I talked to my son a bit. I talked to Paul and Taryn a bit. It's a regular day. Now maybe tomorrow something exciting happens and it's longer. I can't do that. I have to write the same amount of stuff roughly every day because I'm trying to be systematic. So there are limitations here. What if I wanted not to remember the blue water bottle, but one day I wanted to remember a light? Oh, shit, I was using the word light as a cue. So there are possible negatives here. This is non-trivial, it's not easy to do, but it can be done, you'll see some cool results today. Probably the, I'm gonna say probably the best example of this work is work by Marigold Linton. Uh, she's born in 1936, boy. Uh, cognitive psychologist. She's also a mem member of the, I want to get this, say this properly, Morongo, Moro, Morongo, yeah. Board of Kahula Mission Indians. In 1974, she co-founded the National Indian Education Association. This is uh, Indian, Indian like First Nations. Um, she's director for mathematical and science initiative at the University of Texas where she's responsible for bringing minority students into those two fields. She's kind of cool. So Linton's work is a classic example of the diary approach. Um, also, Barack Obama gave her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So I think she's kind of important. And it's kind of cool that it's a First Nations person. Um, it's just kind of cool. So Meryl Linton, pretty awesome. What she does or did is recorded events and dated them. So just, here's something that happened on March 14th, 
And then what she would do is she would try to recall a sample. So she would just have a little session where she, she would record every day, but she would also remember things and shit. And just see, so it's recall. Whatever comes to mind, just talk about it. Couple details. And she was interested in uh, emotion and location and sort of the content of the memory, what happened, but the location and the emotion were also important to her. So she's been pretty systematic about this. And she forgot about 5% of the things that she recorded per year. This is done for like many, many, many years. Okay? So what happens is she goes into her lab, she writes some stuff down, and records them, and she put them all on little um, like recipe cards, which don't really exist anymore because we have other devices to put things on. But you know, little little cards like they used to have in the library. That doesn't help anybody in this room probably. It used to be instead of computers in the library, there was a little thing full of drawers, and you pulled out little cards that said where the book was. Books are these papery things. Um, <laughs> so she would do that, and she would pick a day. Oh, look, August 16th, whatever. Pulls out the thing, and then she says, okay, on August 16th, this happened, this happened, this happened. I felt like this, it happened here. And then she'd look and give herself a score how much she remembered. Okay, does that make sense? And she forgot about 5% of things per year. She was doing this every day. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce is that Wagner? There's two A's, which I find whenever there's two A's in a row, I just get confused. Like is it ah, <laughs> Wagner? She make fun of people's names, but what are you gonna do? So Wagner used only one. It's a similar procedure. Uh, one event per day. I think Wagner was also a woman. I can't remember. Um, and it's who, what, when, where. The, the classic thing, you ever you learn all this in the elementary school, how to write a, write something, five or W's or W's or five W's and H or whatever the hell it was, who, what, when, where, why, and how. Remember that crap? They don't teach anything in school anymore, do they? Okay. So uh, these data are from LinkedIn. This is percentage of items remembered. This is the age of the item. In years. Look at that, six years. You can't do this stuff on somebody else. You have to have, you have to do this on yourself. You, you can't do it on a pool of subjects, participants, because you're never going to find them. You know, I mean, a lot of people think about that five years ago, how many of your friends do you never just don't talk to anymore? And they may be your close friends. Like, and I don't mean anything like there was a falling out because your friend is, I don't know, a felon. <laughs> oh yeah, well he's going away selling crack, so don't talk to him much anymore. Uh, by the way, there's no felonies in Canada that are called indictable offenses. Anyway, point is, this is stuff you can't do with other people even. And those are just your friends. Think of your friends who sell crack. Think about all the other people you know somewhere <laughs> who maybe were in your study. So you gotta do this work on yourself. You can't, it's like, you know, and we've got a great, great tradition in memory research, we've got Ebbinghaus. So it's not like this is bad, and um, in sensation and perception, you know, Wundt studied himself. There's nothing wrong with studying yourself as long as you're extremely careful about it. Wagner. Uh, Wagner. Uh, I'm assuming it's, it's a, Dutch. It it's looks a, Dutch. a Willem Wagner. It's a very, ah. very, Einstein adjacent looking person. <laughs> so it's a guy. Okay. There we go. There's that guy. 
So Wagner found a power function. Well, I should tell you exactly what happened here. I got this written down here, so I got some notes. So what the event was, Wagner wrote an event down every day. What the event was, who was involved, when and where it happened. And all the events were scaled for saliency. That just means how intense an emotion it was, oh, sorry, how intense a memory it felt like, how intense an experience it was. Um, emotional involvement and pleasantness. Recall was cued by different um, combinations of the recorded aspects. For instance, given what the task was to reproduce the who and the where, etc. Okay, so if the thing was, it was the day that Dave got mad at the AV equipment and canceled class. So day that will live in infamy. So rarely do people. How many of the other professors pull out a Franklin Delano Roosevelt impression? Doesn't ever happen. So some of these obviously are just for me, and I don't care. Uh, so yeah, on that day, what else was there there? I don't even know what you'd remember. I would just remember being angry as hell. Oh, I remember this. I remember this. Black font on red sticker. It's great for the blind guy. I remember that. There's something we'll never forget. We're welcoming to people with disabilities. Unless they can't see, then we think it's funny. Um, so an analysis of the effectiveness of the Q combination showed that in the organization of autobiographical memory. This is literally copied and pasted from that paper. Um, temporal information functions in a different manner than information about what, when, sorry, about what, who, and where. Although, though the number of irretrievable events, that's stuff that's forgotten, or I guess perhaps never encoded, um, can rise to about 20%. There is some evidence that, in fact, none of these events was completely forgotten. So there was always some fragment of it there. So like I said, there were cues used, and they did five things per day. Wagner, Wagner, whatever, did five items per day. And that pleasantness thing, best recall was for happy events. And we do tend to look back to the past, as I think we know just anecdotally, with someone who colored glasses. I now describe graduate school as fun. When I think back on it, the last couple of years weren't exactly fun. The word fun didn't come up a lot. The, word, the, the words that came up a lot were this. I just, he just likes that came up a lot. I'm going to quit and teach at a community college. That came up a lot. This is the closest thing I have to therapy, so <laughs> just let you know. It may not be the best approach, but it's all we have. See, I'll talk in a second about how there's other things we can do here, but frankly, mostly what we have here is, it's not ideal, but it's probably the best we can do. Go ahead. Oh, I, I wasn't You're just playing with your wrist? Okay. But, I, well, I have very bad joints. Hmm. Uh, Get in line, buddy. <laughs> I'm too young to have bad joints. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, oh, so you're implying that I'm old. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you have On this day, Jared made me feel like an old man. I wrote uh, that one down. I'm going to be recalling that later. Oh, I thought you'd be used to it by now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Doubling down. Hey, one of these just arrived for you. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Anyway. Yes. No. Um, I mean, peer reviews being kind of the point of yeah. making sure you didn't fuck up. But oh, yes, of course. Uh, that was my only thought. No, no, that's right. I mean, and if I was reviewing a paper like this, and in fact, in fact Linton's work so is a book. Do you have these two papers because... I, uh, the Wagner one I found, I don't know if I have it on me. Like, I don't have it, on, I, I can find it. Uh, the Linton one's a book. Send it. Oh, okay, good, I'll do that. The Linton one's a book. We don't have access to this content. Well, no, but you know what? If you don't have access to this content, there's a little tip. You know what you can do? You go to the, go to the library and go to the librarian and say, can you get a copy of this for me? And you'll get it in like two hours. But it says Algoma University does not have access. Yeah, of course they don't. But they get it from somewhere else and they email it to you. Ah, okay. It's called interlibrary loan. It's a thing. Hmm. Okay, use yeah. that system. It's, it's amazing. 
It used to be you'd get a physical copy of something and you weren't allowed to leave the library with it because they had to send it back. Now it's you just get a PDF in your email. It has a usually a, a password. I don't know if it still does. But yeah, if you just go to interlibrary loan, if you can't find something, almost always they can get it for you. Or I suggest you become really good friends with the chief archivist, chief archivist of Queen's University. He can get you anything. He used to be the head of librarian here, and he's like a really, really close friend, and then he left because he's a jerk. <laughs> and I have no friends, and it makes me sad. But um, again, see, this is a lot like therapy. <laughs> How does that make me feel? It makes me feel like shit. Thanks for asking. Um, you should have said that when I was in therapy. How do you think it makes me feel, dickhead? Um, okay, the keyword method, give a list of words. I was talking about this. Light is, I mean, I'll never forget this. Light is blue water bottle. I almost forgot it right there. Got a mind like a steel trap. It's very rusty. So the subject associate words with autobiographical events. Then you give the cues to the person, light, and then blue bottle. There's something interesting that happens here. I think it's interesting. Something cool. Let's go with that instead, maybe. Interesting is a shitty word. Yeah, as a rule, don't use the word interesting in your paper. You'll get it circled, and I'll, wrote, I'll write, write this beside it. Don't tell me it's interesting. I will be the judge of that. Because I'm doing the work. It's a word, it doesn't do anything. Another interesting result. No, maybe to you. I'm bored. I've marked 30 of these things already. None of this is interesting at this point. There's this thing called the reminiscence bump. It happens, and I'll show you a picture of this in a second. Well, what happened? I got a picture, but let's explain it first, I guess. So if I was to ask you events in your life, what happens is you'll recall all kinds of things. So if I say, tell me something about, you know, elementary school, you can recall, we can figure out what the year is. Tell me something else, tell me something else. You know where you get most of your memories though? And then this could be like me telling you things. They're between about 18 and 23. Maybe 17 and 25. Late teens, early to mid 20s. There's a real bump in the amount of things you remember. Well, why would that be? The memories, as a rule, probably are happier. We've got data that things are happy. Happy things happen. You finish university, that's happy. You finish high school, that's happy. You might meet your uh, first uh, love, that's happy. You might get married, might have kids, might buy a house, might buy a car. Those are happy things. And they're big things, right? Like. But it's also, your encoding processes are probably better. You're right at the peak of schooling, right? Like, when you're in the end of high school and into university, your whole life revolves around remembering things. Like, everything is about remembering things, right? Now, I know that you have to learn how to write better, and you have to learn how to give presentations, and all that other crap, but, I'm sorry, really important stuff, but memory's pretty important. You're in school. Your job as a rule, yes, and maybe you have another job. As, you, you, I don't think anybody here thinks of working at Tim Hortons as their vocation. Oh, it was a calling, really, to work at Tim Hortons. You get yelled at by idiots in the line. I always wanted to work at the theater see morons who couldn't figure out how to buy tickets in advance. Um, so I think a lot of this is to do with the fact that you're in school. And your life is school, right? And there's also, as I mentioned, there are big events. Like those, those events that are pretty happy, they tend to be very large events. The first time you get an actual paycheck, I don't mean a paycheck from a summer job, something kind of thing, or like a, a part-time gig. I mean like, when you have an actual salary and you get your paycheck and you get your pay stub because nobody gets paid in checks anymore, it's all goes to your bank now. And you look and you go, oh geez, I got paid a salary. What are all these deductions they're talking about? Pension? I'll never retire. I'm 24. 
Here's a piece of advice. You will retire one day. Start saving money. Um, so that's probably why too. It's hard to know why it is um, because the only way we can find out actually why it was is a controlled experiment which would be pretty unethical. So this group here, we're not going to let them interact with other humans or go to school. And this group here, we'll see if they have normal lives and we'll see if there's a difference. Uh, there'd be a series of differences, I imagine, but also that would be incredibly unethical. So we really only have guesses here. But I think when uh, the idea of memory of happiness is a big one. I think the happiness thing's important. We talked about that before. And also the idea these are big events. And your encoding processes, these are all very reasonable guesses. All right, questions so far? Yeah, okay. Oh, here you go, here's a picture. So this is what we call childhood amnesia. We talked about the other, here's your reminiscence bump to that. And if you look this from here, and then here, if we put these together, that's one line that has the same, same slope, right? So if we go from childhood amnesia, and then we get the regular sort of, where mm, at least I am, we put those together, those lines have the same slope. It tells you it's the same function. So that, Please, that, that is the reminiscence. That's the reminiscence okay. bump right there. And you can see it's, 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 the really big bump happens right around 20. And then it just drops off because your life has no meaning. <laughs> you just sit around going, now I understand all that existential literature I read in high school and I had to read because life has no meaning and I long for the release that death will bring. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So, Kidding, don't think that. <laughs> yeah, Jared. I will refrain from commenting on that. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, just to summarize, so yeah. I think you've, you've mentioned it this way before, that around that time we are experiencing a lot of very intense They're intense. In our they're life. intense. They're usually intensely emotional, very often very happy events, right? Like or meeting your first girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever is a big thing, like serious one. I don't mean the girl you went to the dance with in grade six. Because I talked to her, she doesn't like you. Um, we don't, I feel a little punchy today. It's different. It's the lights different. I think it's because of the lights different. Um, but yeah, so they tend to be intense. They tend to be emotional. And we're also in school. And we're at the height of our school powers as undergraduates. Like, right at the end of undergrad, like, you can do anything academically at a, a, a level that's better than most other people in society just because you're doing it right now and you've got so much experience at it. Like, I've often thought that intellectually, my peak amount of sort of intellectual creativity, I was about 24. So my first year, my PhD. Because it's like, I'm really good at school. I go, I've been going to school every day for 25 years at that point or something like that. Sorry, 15 years. No, 25. Uh, it's crazy. Like, you're just really good at it. No, it couldn't have been 25. I was saying I was 24, so <laughs> 19 years. Right. You gotta read your list of words. Just don't write them down or anything. Pin, inoculation, haystack, sharp, pointy, knitting, phonograph. You can think of autobiographical memory as a narrative. Narrative just needs a story. I don't know why we have to use big words like narrative, like perfectly good words like story. Here's another tip for when you're writing an essay. The word utilize can also, you know, you can use the word use. It's got one syllable and three freaking letters. There's no, no one talks like that. You trust people who say, oh, we'd like to utilize, and no. As soon as someone says that, I'm like, oh, you're an idiot. Don't try to sound, just be yourself. Don't try to sound smart. You know how you sound smart? Good content. Don't worry about the... Uh, it me just up a wall. So when you recall a story, what do you get right? Very little, <laughs> detail-wise. Like, if I ask you what happened I don't know, uh, a lot of us do things on Saturday nights with our friends, 
Some of us have no friends because they left for Queens University because they're a jerk. Damn you, Ken Herndon. Um, but people think about it. Saturday night, you did a thing, and if you got together with friends, and I even, I'm not even including the effects of alcohol and, and, and weed or anything like that. I'm just asking, I bet you misremembered something. If like you and two other people were together on Saturday night and watched a TV show or whatever or something, you remember things different. We don't get the details of stories right hardly ever. We miss a lot of things. So if you ask someone, oh, what happened on uh, the, 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 the Last of Us, season episode five? You remember the story, the gist of it. You remember the concept. You remember what the characters were wearing, almost certainly not. You get the gist. So that's what happened in the story roughly, but not the intense details we tend to think about. So specific stuff, <coughs> and that's okay. We're all like that. The, the problem is you think you're good at it. So arm yourself with this knowledge. You can actually make a little bit of money by betting with your friends because they're not going to get most of the details right about things. You can probably win some money. Use the psychological things. Use them for, for uh, you know, to win money in bets. What the hell? Everything else has betting ads now. I figure my lectures ought to as well. How many, how many times do I have to tell YouTube I don't want to watch this ad? Or any other gambling ads? And I think gambling's fine, by the way. No problem with it. You want to gamble? Go ahead. Go ahead. But I don't care what the odds are of various things. Go to hell. Okay, anyway, sorry. Again, a little punchy today. How's going on? So the thing is, we're not very good at specifics, but we think we are. We convince ourselves all the time we're very good at it. So there's been a real controversy over the last, geez, 30, well, ever since I started getting into this stuff, which is back when I was your age, which is like 35 years ago. Um, people started talking about, people have talked for years about repressed memories. The idea that memories, when you have very traumatic experiences, go away. They get repressed for your own protection. First of all, this is a Freudian idea, and if you agree with it, then that makes you like you agree with Sigmund Freud, which I think makes you probably not only a bad psychologist, but a bad person. Um, not a big Freud fan. Repression's funny. Here's the Freudian view, right? We have these bad things that happen to us, we want to repress them. We don't know to do this on purpose, we just happen. One thing you have to realize about all these Freudian defense mechanisms, none of them are on purpose. You don't know what you're doing. They're unconscious. So if you can't remember something, it shows you're repressing things. But if you remember them, it also shows that, you're, that Freud's theory is correct. So if I ask you, do you want to you know, kill your same-sex parent and have sex with the opposite-sex parent, your answer hopefully is no. Because if your answer is yes, I think we call the authorities. But if your answer is no, I say it's repression. My theory is correct. And if you say yes, I say, I'm going to call the police, get away from me. My theory is correct. <laughs> it's non-scientific. It can't be disproven. Freud is bullshit. I wish this was all this time we would ever spend on Freud in all of psychology. Do you spend a lot of time in chemistry class on alchemy? Do you spend like three weeks going, well, let's see if we can turn lead into gold today? <laughs> I don't think so. You've got to talk about it once, historically interesting. Right? Like, you don't sit around going, well, I wonder if atoms really are. When you first win the periodic table, the elements, you start by saying, well, you know, it's fire, earth, water, and air. And then you go, no, actually, those aren't the four elements. There's more than four, and those aren't elements. I don't know why we keep talking about four. I think it's because people expect us to. Always been my, you know, it's like my friend who's a clinician who has a couch in her office and gives people the Rorschach test because when she started her career, she didn't have those, and people were like, when do I get the ink blots? Never, they're useless. No, I don't want ink blots. Okay. 
Well, you should have a couch. Well, it seems kind of weird. Well, you we should have a couch. Okay, I'll buy a couch. Which I think is hilarious. It's totally performative. Anyway, it's a Freudian idea, which should immediately give you pause. Um, now, this is usually thought of in the case of, uh, I hate the word abuse, but I'm going to use it because we all know that word, uh, child abuse. We all know it exists. This is not denying that that happens. That's the last thing I'm trying to do. I don't like the word abuse because it means it makes it sound like there's an appropriate kind of use of a child. You don't use It's not cool. So I don't like the, the word, but it's, we all know what it means, so I'm going to keep using it. Surprised nothing's been done about that. Most people actually remember these things. Think about the place we're in right now. Think about the fact that we're in a place that was, you know, just a center, nothing special, just a center of cultural genocide. So they took kids from their families and made them live not here. This wasn't part of it over there. My office was part of the senior boys' dorm. And those kids were treated horribly. And if you talk to a residential school survivor, they remember it. And they always did. They always did. They, they just didn't want to talk too much about it. And when people, they did talk about it, people didn't believe it. But they always remember it. People remember these bad things. There aren't a lot of Holocaust victims walking around going, why do we have numbers tattooed on my forearm? That's not a thing. People know that they were Holocaust victims, right? So people remember bad things. And of course, evolutionarily, it makes a great deal of sense to remember bad things. So you don't do those things again. I'm not blaming anybody who had these things happen to them. But it would have evolved in a situation where if something bad happened, you would want to avoid that thing again. You want intense memories to be remembered. So it's not just embarrassment, too. It's also threats from powerful people telling people, don't you tell people about X, Y, or Z. Okay. You know, plant false memories. It's really easy. For example, Elizabeth Loftus, the lost in the mall experiment, is a great experiment. It's, it's a great experiment. I'm not going to ask. It's got ethical things that are a little bit odd, but it's not too bad. I, I could see it passing ethics today. It wouldn't be a big deal, but it would be, it'd be serious. But what she'd do is she'd have people like you all come in her lab, um, and she'd get your contact information, and you'd know you were in an experiment uh, about memory, and you'd know you were in an experiment about memory from childhood. So like, you knew that in advance, and she'd say, okay, I need to talk to your parents because I have to check some things out about some memory stuff. So what I'm gonna, I need your parents' contact number. She'd call the parents and she'd say, look, here's the deal. Was your kid ever lost in the mall? And as long as the parents said no, excellent. Now I, you can be, your son or daughter can be my subject. I'm going to say they were lost in the mall. I'm gonna make up the following story. Same story with everybody. If they call you, just say, yeah, that happened. Don't give them a whole lot of detail. Don't give them any detail. Just say, oh, yeah, that was a thing. That happened uh, when you were uh, five years old. So what happens is, now she talks to these people and she tells them, remember that? I was talking to your parents, and they, they told me the story of you getting lost in the mall. And most people went, I don't remember that. That's strange. They said, oh yeah, you, you were four years old. Here's the details. You're four years old. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Then they come back in the lab like a week later. Hey, do you remember anything else about the lost in the ball? No? Uh, well, uh, did you talk to your parents? Yeah, I talked to my parents. They said the basically the same story you did. Okay, good. Do you remember anything else? I actually do. That day, I was wearing, and people went, all kinds of stupid details that never happened. Because if your parents and your professor tell you you got lost in a mall, why would they lie to you? 
that uh, that goes with light. Blue ball goes with light. I'm never going to forget this. I'm going to forget it by like 4.30. <laughs> so your memory fills in blanks. What? Classic experiment. It's pretty easy. It's pretty damn easy. Can we tell the difference between real memories and false memories? That's the problem. We can't. There's some stuff with PET scans, looking at brain activation, uh, but that's really, it's equivocal. You see good results and other not so good results. And like, if you're going to convict somebody of, I don't know, Satanic ritual abuse, something that's literally never happened. It's literally never, there's been no cases. And when I was like, you're all age, so in the, in the 80s, um, people were really into, oh, there's Satanists out there killing babies. People believed that. People went to prison based on people like, I just remembered something. Doesn't happen anymore because judges got told by people like Elizabeth Loftus, who did the Lost in the Mall experiment, you know, your memory isn't a digital recording device. Or back then, you would have said a video camera or a VCR. No, it's, it makes reasonable guesses. Makes reasonable guesses. So the nice thing is, at least we, nowadays it's much less likely, but it, it, people had to go to prison for things they never did. You know. The best example, the most famous example that I can think of is one in, uh, there's been a couple. There was one where someone said she remembered her father killing somebody. The somebody didn't exist. The person actually didn't exist. There's the McMartin preschool trial. They're doing ritual satanic abuse of four-year-olds. Oh, great. Those are great. Four-year-olds are perfect. Because they never just say shit. Like if you say to a four-year-old, do you remember that time when the teacher, and I don't want to even say, I'm not going to say anything, and the kids are go, oh yeah. Right? People didn't go to jail. I don't need evidence. And evidence beyond someone saying they recovered a memory. Memories are one form of evidence, but you need more than one thing. And they are great. Our memories at best are at best reconstructive. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read back this list of words. Put your hand up if you recognize the word from before. Pin. Okay, good. Uh, what do we got next? Book. Anybody? No? Okay, good. Chair. Ceiling. Needle's not there. But you look, if you have to download or you got a friend beside you, take a look. Needle's not on that list. It should be. It was pin, you know, needles and pins. Needle in a haystack, needles are sharp, needles are pointy, go on and on and on. Uh, this is Roddy Rodiger, in fact, did this task, this demo, to like 250 of us in a room, and we all had PhDs in experimental psychology, and he told us he was going to do this to us. We all went, sure, needle. <laughs> so don't feel bad. Needle should be on that list. I implanted a false memory in a few of you. I didn't even remember. <laughs> well, no, but some of these book, chair, ceiling aren't on the list. I kept remembering the pin. Pins on it, yeah, sure. If that's the only one. You can do this with, it's a feather, uh, a bird, actually. So bird is good, it's easy. You feather, uh, fly, egg. Beak, uh, nest, but you don't say bird. You say sleep. Pin was also the first on the original list. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Pin was first, so maybe if you were trying to, rec I'm, I'm sure you figured out very quickly. I'm giving you a list of words, so you start doing rehearsal because you can't not do it. Eh? I did this once. This demonstration. I was teaching, about a, like giving a little demo to a class of kids in grade eight, and the teacher didn't believe me. Got mad at me. It was, so I was like, okay, yeah, I don't think I'll be coming back here to do community outreach. Of course it was on that list. No, it really isn't. But the point I'm making is that you... No, 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 no. Of course, I could be making all that up. I may be completely misremembering it. Who knows? Thing is, I'm not... You, you don't trust me like I'm your therapist or something like you would be in a case with recovering memories. I'm just some guy who knows a lot about memory, who you pay to listen to, that which I find... teaches children. Yeah. So... Then there's what we call flashbulb memories. These things, yeah, these things tend to be hyper-accurate. Well, at least they seem to be. They seem to be super detailed. And they're always about shared culture, or almost always, about shared cultural experiences. Almost always about shared cultural experiences or huge things in your life. So maybe if you had a little brother or sister who was born when you were, well, if you have a little brother or sister, they would have been born. That's how humans happen. But... So maybe you remember them coming home to the hospital, whatever. So here's, here's some classics here. That's, uh, these are flashbulb memories I have. It's hard to see that, but that's the 1972 uh, Canada-Soviet Union final game when Paul Henderson scores the goal, uh, which we all got let out of school, and we all went down to, our, to the gyms in our schools all over the country, and we watched on TVs they wheeled in, and, when Paul Henderson scored with 38 seconds left and Phyllis Esposito and Yvonne Cornway, I hugged the little girl beside me. And I was a great two. She's 1972. And you don't hug little girls because that's how you get cooties. When you're 70, you think, ooh, I can't touch girls. Ooh, gross. And the thing is, the girl that I remember, I didn't meet until 1974. Because we moved from Toronto to Sudbury in 1974. First friend I had who was a girl was this girl, Maria, who lived across the street from me in Sudbury. She's in that memory. She can't have been there. The weirdest thing was, I ran into her on campus years later at Western. She had come to London and I had moved there. She had come to London to go to school. And we went to a party that night because she invited, oh, my friends are going to party. And I now, in, that, in my memory, it's changed. And now the little girl who I hug is this girl, Maria, who can't have been there because she didn't live in Toronto. And she's dressed like a woman in about 1985. So she's kind of dressed like Madonna. That's not really what happened. But I remember it that way. Uh, Canada won the gold medal in 2002 in hockey. A lot of you might remember 2010, the 2010 Sydney Crosby Bowl. Oh, you're, maybe your grandparents talked about Kennedy being shot. A lot of people report things about, oh yeah, you know what we saw? It was on TV, and I saw him get shot live on TV. No, you didn't. It wasn't CNN then. Did they cut in after he was shot? Yes, but you did not see his motorcade. You did not see the very famous picture, the film, where he's going across and he gets his head blown off and then Jackie Kennedy reaches out and actually grabs a piece of his skull off the back of the car. That wasn't seen in public until 1977. Wait, so my grandma would have never watched that happen. She, well, you know she'll remember? She'll remember... Well, you know, she, she brings it up constantly. Oh, That's Kennedy? What? She remembers Kennedy. And she would have seen the live report when they knew he was shot. They cut into the, it was the afternoons, they cut into the soap operas, and they, they announced what was going on. But the actual killing, no, she didn't see it. Like, like, the, act, like the you see the motorcade drive. Yeah, she didn't see that live. She might have seen it in 1977. But not when it actually interested. No, no because it was, it was evidence until the uh, House Committee on Assassinations, and I think it was 1977. That's when this approved the film, which is what I'm talking about, was released. Yeah. Oh, people think they saw it. And you know what? Don't argue with her because you're not going to win, even though you're right. Like, because she'll never believe you. Because it feels real. I kind of like the Mandela effect, too. Yeah, the Mandela effect's a weird thing. It's just people thinking something's happening. Yeah. It's kind of like that because people think, no, I know there was a movie like that. But yeah, it's fascinating. Kennedy's a, one of the first sort of classic ones. You may have heard your grandparents and stuff talk about that. A Princess Diana died, or that one. Uh, a lot of people report watching the second plane hit the World Trade, the, the, second, uh, the second tower, 
watching that on TV, right? that wasn't live on TV, that you saw it very quickly and saw it a lot, but you didn't see it live because the first one everybody thought was that accident. So it was on CNN, like you turned CNN on, but pe most people weren't watching TV. It's like, oh, there's been a horrible accident. Well, might continue with my day. Like when, when, when there's a plane crash, do you stop everything you're doing and turn the TV? No, you don't. You go, oh, geez, that's horrible. I was teaching a class. I was teaching intro side. Not in this room. I was in Newfoundland. I was an entirely different province. But I remember that. There's other stuff I probably don't remember that well, but I think I do. And I mean, the, 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 the beautiful one about the goal is that I know that Maria wasn't there, and I know she wasn't dressed like, well, like I, like Madonna. So they're not as accurate as they seem. Not as accurate as they seem. The hard thing is studying these is really hard. Oh, let's wait for a natural disaster. And then be ready with a questionnaire. Like that's, that's not an easy thing to do. So when this did happen on September 11th, 2001, um, I was at work. I was 36 years old, good man. Uh, and, you know, we didn't close school or anything. It was a quarter of a Someone said to me actually, shouldn't we close the school? I said, what gives you the ego to think Al-Qaeda is after people in Cornerbrook? Not even St. John's. In Cornerbrook, there's 18,000 people in here. Bin Laden's never heard of this place. Don't worry. So my friend Les, he, I mean, you guys probably don't remember where we were because most of you weren't born, right? Is anybody here alive? Besides me. A couple of you. Do you remember? Some of you remembered at all? Or are you too young? My mom tells me I was on the couch. That's yeah, I mean, it's, I can say the same thing about my son. But I get a cat. He was dancing with my, with my so wife. I, I can pretend that. like I do. Right. Just from what I've been doing. Right. Anybody remember at all? I have a false memory of being picked up from daycare. That's because my mom's told the story so many times. It's like the, oh, yeah. like the other event I described of falling and my tooth went through my lip. I have the scar. Right. My mustache doesn't grow there properly. Yeah. I we know it happened, but no memories. I just have a, a thing right. that people yeah. have told me about. Right, and you hear it enough. Like I, I have all these stories of me saying to my, my little brother, giving him a toy car when he came home the first when he was born in like 1967. He didn't play because he was a newborn baby. And I apparently said, Mom, he doesn't play. So I was like, this one isn't finished, get it back when, when it's done. Um, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I kind of remember that. I don't remember saying it, but I know I've been told I said it so many times. It's like that. But yeah, I mean, there's things about 9-11 that parents don't talk about. My, my old friend Les from the Grenfell campus, or from Grenfell College of Murray University, that day had a class like this. He was teaching memory. So he's like, I know what I'll do. And I do an impression of him, but none of you would get it, so it wouldn't make a difference. But you could ask Dwayne Keogh, I do a perfect, I do an impression so good of Les Kay that people think it's less hard. And he's only about that tall. So what we would do is we would make the, uh, you know, like the strings on the screens, we would throw them way up high so he couldn't get them, because we were a bunch of jerks. So what Les did, there he is. Okay, yeah, that's the last cake, right? That's how we talk. Okay, then. All right. Here go in my office and smoke a cigarette. I don't think you're allowed to smoke in the building. Yeah, all right. They'd smoke anyway. Who the hell would that? So he said, you know, this is an opportunity. I remember I said, uh, do you think you can get this through ethics in an hour? He said, oh, I'm going to tell him, right? I said, okay. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, frankly, he's asking people a couple of questions. How do you feel? Like, what are your emotions? And then, who are you sitting beside? What kind of clothes are you wearing? It's a very innocuous thing, so ethics wouldn't have mattered anyway. So it worked out. And then, so it was a, he had them fill out this questionnaire. And then, 37% of people could recall stuff about that day, three years later. So in 2004, he contacted the students again. Um, it's Newfoundland, he just got, hey, where's Buddy, right? And he didn't know where he is. I'm making a lot of jokes that I'm editing out that are really offensive unless you 
from there. 37% um, recalled something, but what they recalled were the emotions that were accurate. Because he also asked, they gave him the same questionnaire, what did you fill out? And people were like, oh, I was sitting beside this guy, no, you weren't. You know, I was wearing this shirt, no, you weren't. I felt this way. Oh, they got that right. So people, when they, when they were recalling things, that little over a third of people recalling things correctly, it was a bit of emotion. Right? And that's not, that shouldn't be surprising. It's the emotion that you're remembering, not the details. Because the details really don't matter. All right. Some conclusions about episodic autobiographical memory. Autobiographical memory is usually episodic, of course. And they tend to be best guesses, right? They're approximations. Our memory is reconstructive. So, you know, and I think back again, two of my colleagues, again, back then in Newfoundland, uh, both got on a plane, the WWE was there, was, was, you know, wrestling was there the night before, and they were on the same plane. And they sat, so three wrestlers, Dash eight, right? So two here and then one behind. And my friends Roy and Tom both think they were sitting beside one of the wrestlers. And one of them must not have been. <laughs> like, it's impossible. But they will argue about it to, to this day. No, I was sitting beside the wrestler. No, I was sitting beside the wrestler. I remember once saying, you guys ever entertain the idea that neither of you were sitting beside a wrestler? It's possible. And of course, they're psychologists. They both know, in fact, that one of them, at least, must be wrong. But they're both convinced they're right. And they're usually good guesses. And what does it matter if you were sitting beside whoever the hell it was? I can't remember what wrestler it was. Or not. You're on the same plane. Why does it matter that I don't remember the name of the little girl that was sitting beside me and who that was? My memory's like, well, it's probably a girl you knew. Who's the first girl you knew when you're around that age? That's Maria Costacos. Put her in there. She's in the memory. It wasn't her. Your memory's reconstructive. It's, it's not a recording device. You know what? You ever had this one when you're doing a test and you think to yourself, oh, right, that's, this is especially like intro site kind of multiple choice things, and you're looking and you're thinking, oh, this is a graph. I bet I can imagine the page, and you imagine the page, and you think, okay, it's like that. So a lot of people think they're good at that, and they aren't. A lot of university students think they're really good at it. And you know, if I, if I say top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right, chances are you're right 25% of the time. That's chance, right? On average, people get about 25% right. <laughs> they're guessing. You don't think you're guessing. I think I can do it. I'm certain I really can't, but I'm also certain that I can. The data are telling me, no, there's no way you can do that. But my experience, and you know, buzzword today, my lived experience is telling me, oh, you can do that. It's like, yeah, except your lived experience is lying to you. So you just always have to question things. Now, it doesn't mean you go around every time someone says something to you, go, you know, memory's unreliable. Don't be a jerk about it. But I'm saying that little details, especially, you're going to get wrong. Big gist of things you're great at. You're never talked about at all. Go ahead, Jeremy. So you mentioned the, the way you phrased it earlier was that your brain will make reasonable guesses. Yeah. So that's a rule. I mean, and this doesn't seem uh, like it's that big of a leap. That would also mean that it really depends on what is reasonable. Well, said person. the reasonableness, for example, if you're thinking of false memories of childhood trauma or abuse, if you're going to therapy and you're, 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 your therapist says, this is a book called The Courage to Heal. And in this book, this is a real book, it says if you have a headache or you have trouble sleeping or if you have, it just lists a whole bunch of mundane things, you were probably sexually abused as a child. And if I'm the therapist and a shitty therapist who believes that book and I tell you these things, and I'm an authority figure, and also somebody you're opening up to. If you've ever been in therapy, it's a really weird, intimate, and wonderful, if it's got a, good, got a good therapist, experience, because you're actually talking to someone who's a neutral third party, and you're bearing your soul to them. You trust people you bear your soul to. I trust my wife and my kids implicitly. 
I love them. They're the most important people in my... So I just believe when they, if they say something, I go, yeah, okay. I mean, unless my wife said, you know, it turns out gravity, not a thing. I, I, would, I wouldn't believe that. But, was, you know, most things, of course. Why would she lie, right? So, and in that, you're also, not only are you trusted, you're an authority figure. So it is actually a reasonable guess to say, well, I guess you said I was abused. I must have been abused. Okay, yeah, I was. Sometimes uh, we'd eat babies. Because I saw a Geraldo Rivera show recently, which is one of the people in the satanic panic of the beginning. So it depends on what makes it seem... Yeah, what makes it seem reasonable. Yeah, of course. And it's, it's going to be affected by things like authority figures and trust and things like that. And the ultimate authority figure who you trust is a therapist. Like, I mean, that's the insidious part of people who end up with these false memories implanted in them is that somebody's trying to help them. And all the good things about therapy, the fact that you trust this person implicitly, can be used for bad. And I'm not saying they were doing it on purpose, by the way, those therapists. I just say that they're shitty therapists. I'm not saying they're bad people. Uh, yeah, they're shitty therapists and they aren't very good at it. Are they bad people? I'm not sure, but they made some people's lives very difficult, which isn't very nice. Other comments or questions? Another quick one today. I guess now that only about 19 of you show up, it ends up being kind of quick. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. Uh, I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved. So you can redistribute this all you want. But if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and that was called Podsafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to uh, 
put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music. Because um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time.